The first question, in the Christian church, a man and a woman are officially married by a minister or priest. How does a Buddhist man and woman become officially married? Please explain. In the uh, Buddhist canon, a Sangha member, a monk, for example, cannot act as a middleman in a marriage. In other words, he should not be signing. Uh, there's something to sign. I mean, in, 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 a, wedding, in, in, a, in a marriage, you have a witness and, and the government uh, authorized certain people, ministers, priests, to, uh, to sign papers about a marriage, uh, to witness it. But according to the Buddhist canon, the Buddhist precept, um, a Sangha member, a monk, uh, cannot be the go-between. Um, so a monk should not serve as a middleman or to, to uh, uh, the, the, marri the, marri should, the marriage should not be uh, administered by a monk. It's against the precept. What's, what's the logic behind it then? I think what's, what's more important is to tell you what's the reasoning behind it than just telling you no. We don't do it like that. I think the, mo the most important is the logic behind it. Logic is, when a man and a woman gets in love, there's so many possibilities. They could be madly in love. They could be foolishly in love. They could be ephemerally in love. They could be eternally in love. Or they could be looking for a one-year stand. <laughs> or a tried out, or cohabitation. I mean, uh, when they love each other, is it really true love or it's true love uh, on the surface is actually the sexual appeal that, that that's the main thing? Or are there any intentions behind the mind of this couple? Maybe I'm just creating scenarios. Maybe, maybe the man is, 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 is an 80-year-old senior and the woman is uh, an 18-year-old beauty. Well, that happens. Why? Because the 80-year-old had a total est estate estimated to be 100 million. So the 18-year-old said, well, that's what I'm looking for, wealth. I don't care. Well, he's 80 now and he's not going to live until 100, so I have another 20 years to go, then I'll become 38. I can be remarried at 38 with 100 million estates. Right now, I'm only a secretary working for $12 an hour. That's a, a, a menial pay. That's, that's, the, that's, a, that's not a respectable pay. I don't like it. So there's so many intentions behind it. And also, we, we, we cannot see through the karma of this marriage. Some man is married to a woman or some woman is married to a man because the woman in her previous life was hurt by the man. 
and the woman in this life came back to get him to get even one repayment of debts one repayment of emotional liabilities there's so many liabilities not just money eh? not just monetary liability the debit and credit liability is always in the credit position so you own them something but not just money sometimes emotions if you're owning emotions you're in trouble because he would be the he would be the, the wife that wouldn't cook for you he would be the wife that would be committing adultery and he would be the wife that who does not know how to teach children and no you, you, you regret for having a wife like that. So there's so many possibilities in the outcome of a, of, of, of a marriage. I still, I, I still remember when I attended the marriage um, back in the 19, early 1970s. Um, my fellow students, um, a young man and a young woman, third year university, expecting to graduate next year and they couldn't wait they want to get in they want to go to city hall to get a, a marriage certificate so we, we they, they 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 have a ceremony to do and uh, of course everybody dressed nicely and um, i was i was invited to be uh, one of the members in it so we uh, went through the ceremony and uh, we all, all all the fellow students 12 or 13 together, witness the signing, the signature and all that. And I look at the, I look at the, I look at the magistrate, the judge. And the judge, when the judge was performing this recitation of phrases from the Bible or from, from books about, oh no, you have to, I, I can't remember those phrases. Oh, you have to love him until you die and something like that. And then you won't, you won't forsake him uh, in the winter, in the summer, in the spring. Um, uh, <laughs> And uh, a lot of conditions, uh, through thick and thin, you won't forget, you will, you will forgive him for what he has done wrong to you, and you will always be protecting her and things like that. And the, the, the judge was doing this like a, doing a rigmarole of, 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 of a language. It's just like he could as well turn on the re tape recorder and then he shut up. Because he did that, he did that every day for 16, 20 times. He becomes senseless, and uh, and we were joking. And if we know this, this this judge will be asked him, "What do you feel when you, when you, uh, when you perform this kind of ceremonies?" Oh, I don't know. Maybe they last a month or two or three or one year. Sometimes um, the probability of these people going through uh, um, more than twenty years is almost like zero. <laughs> so. It's become so routine. So uh, the, 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 uh, as monk, we don't perform that. And of course, when we talk about a, a, a marriage, we always talk about something that is related to it, the opposite of it. That is divorce. There's procedures for divorce, you know. Same as procedures for marriage. And um, I read a book, and I still remember that book is uh, the best I have, which means that the best author in North America is going to, uh, over the world, is contributing his 
what he or, or, or she considered as her best essay. So there was a lady uh, in, 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 in Jerusalem, and uh, she, was, uh, she was having a divorce with her husband, and she went through all these routines, and it was quite, a, quite, quite an experience going through that. Um, so there's divorces and marriages, and we don't know the outcome. We don't know the consequences. We don't know the intentions. Whether the intentions are pure and impure, we don't know. So how can we act as someone who witnessed something that we don't know? That's the logic behind it. And also, we are advocating celibacy in the Sangha order. If you are tied up in a cocoon or in a, uh, of a family, it's similar to, a, to the cocoon that, you, that the caterpillar is in. You, you're, bond, you're born inside it. You cannot practice. Because you, when you have a family, so when you start up with yourself as a teenager, and then you go to university, and then you have a dating, and then you plan on a marriage, and then you get married, and then uh, you have kids. And when you have kids, then uh, you start to worry about the health of the baby, and, 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 uh, and you get up late, uh, early in the morning, and late at night to feed the baby. You know, all these things, go through, you go through all the, the intricacies of life. Um, you may not like it. And that would take away a lot of the time that you should be assigned for practice, for salvation, for liberation, um, that you don't have that. So a, a marriage binds you, I think. I think there's a word, and I have to, I have to utter the Chinese word first. Um, uh, <laughs> So that means marriage is the grave of love. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know. I think that's enough for this question. I don't want to go on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Um, well, in the meditation hall, you talk about suffering. Is it right to assume that when you get older, you, you, you go through, you experience more suffering and you are wiser? Well, if when you get older, you get wiser, let me make a suggestion. In our next general election, when we elect the prime minister, why don't we go to the nursing home to pick one? <laughs> wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be easier? Oh, who are the oldest in the nursing home? You are 100, you're 102, 103. Okay, let's pick the 103 to come out as the candidate for the next prime minister. Because if going by age, age suggests a wiser mental attitude, then we just choose the, the, the most senior to be the prime minister. Not necessarily true that if you're getting older, you're getting wiser. Sometimes when you're getting older, you're getting more ob obstinate. You don't want to change. How can you teach an old dog new tricks? There's, there's, a, there's a saying. There's a saying that you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. So don't go by that assumption. And don't assume that also 
um, thinking on a parallel line. Don't assume that the more you read about the Buddhist books, the more intelligent you would be, the more enlightened you would be. If just by reading sutras, then you become enlightened, then all the professors are already the Buddha. They spend their lives reading. They're just academics. They bury themselves in the ivory of the academic uh, um, environments. They don't practice. I have, uh, I, I, I know uh, uh, professors who specialize in, in, in Buddhism and became so good at, at it, so, uh, so eloquent, uh, so articulate in it, that uh, he's become very famous. But when, when, I, when I talk him, of, I talk with him in certain discussions and I understand more, uh, his whole family is Christian. <laughs> he does not believe in the Buddha. He's just treated as a philosophy. So, how can you say that being wise, uh, being older is, is, will be wiser, and, and reading more and more and more will be enlightened? Just by reading wouldn't get you enlightened. You have to practice it. And also, in the Hinayana approach to Buddhism, there are the, the two kinds of Hinayana saints who become successful in Hinayana. One is the Stravakas, the other is the Pratyaka, Bud the Pratyaka Buddhas. The Strava Stravakas, in the Chinese language, is Singman. The Stravakas, they have to listen to lectures and read books and practice to become enlightened. The Pratyaka Buddhas know they, they did not live in a, in a world uh, where, where Buddhism is prevalent, where you have readings of sutras, where, where you have sutras and, and, and uh, epidamas. They just enlightened by what? By self-meditation. They, they just watch, watch the, what happened and they get enlightened. When they saw flowers in the, in the wintertime, well, in the springtime, they, they saw flowers blossoming and in prosperity and and they were meditating, all oh, these flowers are beautiful. And then another month, uh, snow, snow comes, and they say, oh, now these flowers, or oh, autumn comes, the flowers are dropping. And they understand immediately life and death. In other words, they get enlightened through environments, through what happens in front of their eyes, instead of through just reading. And they become enlightened that way too. Okay, next question. Is karmic debt reward absolute in its predetermination of an earthy existence or is there a balance between karma and free will? And if there is, where is it? And how does, it, how does, an, undivided, undiv how does an individual find or pro approximate it? So the question is, is there a balance between karma and free will? I don't, quite, I don't quite follow what you mean, so I have to make an assumption. When you say there's a balance between karma and free will, free will, mean, do you mean that there's no karma? There's nothing that has no karma. Now, if you mean that free will is you can do anything you want without subject to any causation, any karma, then you're wrong. Everything that you do, every word that you utter, every thought, is subject to karma. Every thought 
creates energy, and when it creates energy, it's subject to karma. Nothing is not dominated by karma. Sometimes karma could be good karma, it could be bad karma, it could be neutral karma. Not every karma is bad, you know. You know, not everything you do is bad. Sometimes the good, good, you do good things that creates good karma. You're compassionate, then you have the karma of compassion. So, so um, when you say there's a balance between karma and free will, I don't, I don't quite follow. I don't free will. Yes, you are free to do your, what you want, but whatever you have done, whatever you have thought, whatever you have spoken, would be subject to causation. And karma, you can't get away with it. In other words, actually, strictly speaking, you're not free. You are not free. You are free in what you're doing, but you get bound by it. You, you will suffer because of what you have done. You have to bear the consequences of it. You're not free in that case. You're not liberated yet from reincarnation. You still live in that bondage. You still go through samsara life. You have a, we all have a samsara life. How can you have free will? Yes. Free will is karma driven. Free will is a delusion. Yeah, free will. Free will. What is free will? Free will deludes you. You think you are free? Yeah, you are free to do bad things, but then karma would get you. There's no. We when we are in this body. Uh, we're not free. Um, I still remember in, uh, when I studied uh, French literature during the French Revolution. There is a, a philosopher. I forgot his name. Uh, Russell, or I forgot his name. He said uh, they talk about freedom everywhere, but I saw everybody in chains. I, I, I forgot that name. The name of that of that. Mm, it's interesting to know that name. Um, so that French philosopher said, "Yeah, you talk about freedom, but everybody is in chain." He implies a lot of things, not just in chains, in material chain, in the iron chain, your mental chain, the mental. You are living with that mental, that mentality changed you. That ego imprisoned you. When you have an ego. Imprison you that you, your own ego. How can you be free? It's only by crumbling the ego wall that you are free. Imagine if you have a wall surrounding you. That's what we call ego, right? Ego, and uh, you only have certain space to to exercise, certain certain space to 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 be free, but you're not actually you're not free. And but the ignorance is. But the main important thing is, you're not free in there. Yes, we are not free. But do you know that we can be free? You're living in, within that ego wall of yours. And do you know that if that wall crumbles down, you're free? That's what we want. We want to be free. You don't. We're not free now. We. You want to be free. We want to be free. If you want to be free, the first thing you do is. You got to be interested in freeing yourself. If you find yourself so comfortable in that prison, how can you ever be free? You don't even know there's freedom outside. You've been a frog living in a well, restricted to the to the view of the sky. You are a little frog in that well, and you think that oh, that's the sky. The sky is only that shape. It's only 
a circular shape. But the sky is not circular shape. It's just you've been restricted by your view, the, that little frog. And one day there was a big frog who, who, who fell into the well, and they talked about philosophy. The bigger frog said, have you seen the sky? Oh, of course, every day I see the sky. It's, it's, it's a circular shape. And the big frog laughed, said, oh, the sky is circular shape? The sky is unlimited. No, I don't believe you. How can the sky be unlimited? It's only that you have seen it that you do know the sky is unlimited. So actually, you think you're free? You're not free. But you wanted to be free, though. Do you want to be free? If we don't want to be free, we can stop it right here. But you want to be free. So how do you do? What do you do if you want to be free? Remember, this ego prison is not all sealed up with every brick unobstructed. There's windows, there's little, little holes in there. There's windows in it. Or sometimes, if you're interested, then you try in every way to chisel it, to make sure that, hey, can I get this ego prison wall crumbled down? So maybe you don't have a window. Okay, you open up a small window and you look outside. Wow, there's, there's another space outside. What's the analogy of this? I have seen the Buddha's teaching. Oh, that's the view. I can, I can be more free than living in this prison. You start to be interested in getting out. The first ray of sunlight comes in. The sunlight of, 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 of freedom illuminates, your, illuminates that little one inch of your, of your eye hole in the prison. And you feel delighted. Yeah, I came to the temple for meditation. I sat for half an hour and I got so peaceful. That's your little hole that's been opened up for you. You've seen it. You have a glimpse. You have a glimpse of that freedom. Because you meditated in that temple. You have a glimpse. But is that all? You don't want just a glimpse. You want to be all free. So you look for it. You look for the freedom. That's the objective of your whole life, looking for freedom. You get it. People in France in the 1800s, they struggled for the French Revolution, they struggled in the French Revolution, and finally they got Louis XVIII onto the guillotine. They reformed the whole country and they could become free. They become free. Do you want to be free? Your choice. Your choice to be free or not. Where is, if there is um, a balance between that, where is it? And how does, where is it? It's an interesting question sometimes to say, where? Where is it? You don't have to look anywhere. You've got it. Don't look anywhere. You've got it. And I repeat it again, if you don't understand. You've got it. Where is it? It's here. It's right in your mind. You want to be free? You work at it, you have that mind to be free. Whatever the mind can conceive, the mind can do. The mind becomes the Buddha, you can be the Buddha. The mind wants to go to hell, then you go to hell. So where is it? You don't look anywhere. You've got it. Why are you still looking? It's just like when you, when you stay in a, in a temple and you've been meditating with using that technique of Anapanasati, and after one year you get bored. So what's the next step? Where am I going from here? I said, you don't have to go anywhere. Keep on. You just keep on. 
It's just that when you are in Alberta drilling for oil, you drill one inch, two inches, three inches, and you drill five feet after one year, and you said, what is oil? I'm not going to wait until another year. I go into another well. You start to drill another surface. You drill another, another five feet, and you say, I abandoned this. I go into another well. You drill a hundred wells in your life, and you never got one successful. But if you drill and drill and drill, don't look anywhere. You've got it right there. You penetrate. You persist. That's one of the six parameters, you know? Tolerance, endurances. That's a requirement in Prashna Paramita. Tolerance, endurances. Have you got that? If you haven't got it, you really have to conjure your energy to, uh, to work at it. To gather your energy and work at it. So, and how does an individual find it or appropriate it? You don't have to find it. You've got it. It's your own mind. You work your own mind. Can I meditate it for you? You say, uh, Reverend uh, Lee, I'm not coming on, on Sunday. Can you meditate for me? <laughs> oh, yeah, I can meditate for you. Nobody can meditate it for you. How can I help people to understand about karma? If they would like to be ignorant, sometimes I'm so sorry about it. Well, they have the choice. If they want to be ignorant, um, then you don't force yourself to, to convert him. Um, when, you talk, when you talk about the Buddhist teaching to anybody, um, don't think about converting someone. Think about just giving an opinion on what you think about your own practice. No, sir, I, 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 I want to convert you into a Buddhist. Don't think about that way, because the time hasn't come for them. If the time hasn't come for them, they cannot do it. There was a, in the history, uh, in the Chinese history, there was a, um, a man who was, who was a minister uh, in the Song Dynasty. And uh, he was involved in fraudery. He was in, in, involved in imprisoning um, a hero and got the hero killed. So he did a lot of bad things. Um, he died and he went down hell, went to hell. And then there was a monk, it was, it was written in, a, in an essay here. You know, we can research the essay to find out the name of that essay. And then, um, uh, and, and then the monk went down, maybe Siddhagava Bodhisattva went down to hell to save him with the intention of saving him. And if anybody can utter a word, a, a Buddha's name, a seed is planted. Om Mani Padme Hum, Hum, a seed is planted in your consciousness. And it's, in other words, if somebody told you to do something, if you said this is what you do, and you keyed it in the, in the keyboard, it will be in your memory forever. And when the time comes, that will come out, and then it will start to learn. So in other words, if you come to the temple with no intent, with no attention, and you just come to the temple and heard a monk singing, a chanting, Namo Amitabha, oh, it's just as interesting. It gets planted in your mind as an energy. Then with that seat, we call it energy seat, it does not matter in which life later in the future, it would sprout. So this monk 
thought that, okay, that minister was suffering in hell. I wanted to go down to save him. So he had a talk with him, and he said, can you chant Namo Amitavo? So in other, words, in other words, to plant a seed of Namo Amitavo in, in that man, in that vicious man who suffered in hell, so that in the future he may get out of hell and, and, and he will be a different person. He would, he would go on the enlightenment path. And that man said, I don't like this stuff. If he said, I don't like Namo Amitavo, then that's good enough because you already uttered the name. But he didn't even under the, utter that name, he just, I don't like that kind of stuff. But if I don't like the Buddha, then he got enlightenment because that, that seed is planted in him. Okay, so if someone is ignorant, what can you do? You can't change him. You can change his ignorance. Uh, he will suffer. But sometimes if you you cannot talk a person into something, but you can influence someone by your own behavior, by your own, for example, if, you're, if, if he is your family member, if he knows, although he's ignorant, he does not want to hear you, you out on Buddhism, but if he knows that since you believe in the Buddhist teaching, you become a different person. You are kind, you are compassionate, you are more considerate than before, you're not yelling as much, you're not egoistic anymore. He saw an, a, an abrupt change in you. Then he's been influenced. Then he knows, wow, you're a different person. You were not like that before. Oh, honey, you yelled at me before, and how come you're so soft-spoken now? I believe in the Buddha. Oh, yeah, is that right? Then he will change. Right? You change someone by your action, not by words. You change. You want to change someone? Change yourself first. You want to improve someone? Improve yourself first. Okay, that's how you do it. What is the best way to deal with anger? The best way to deal with anger is practice compassion. Always be kind. Always think about compassion being compassionate to others, helpful to others. But when you have anger, you know that this anger will not be helpful to others. If you're angry, you will make that person angry and that will be incompassionate to him or her. That will make him angry. You're not kind. So you make, you make that person happy. You're always aiming at make, making people happy. Then you will not be angry. Because when you're angry, the respondent would not, would not be happy because you show your angry face. 